Welcome to the Progression Health Podcast. This is episode number 54. I'm here with Tiago Valeri. Tiago, do you want to introduce yourself and tell the listeners about your uh, work in the health and fitness industry? Hey, um, so thanks thanks for having me. Um, it's a pleasure. So my name is Tiago. Um, I've been working in the in the fitness injuries industry for like 10 years, I suppose, more or less. Uh, and so, you know, w- once I first got into fitness, I, w- I was very enthusiastic about it, like like many people are. Uh, and then I just started learning about it because I'm, I'm a huge nerd. And so I got into the into the science of, of things. Um, and then eventually uh, started coaching people to try to help them reach their, their fitness goals in terms of nutrition and training. Um, and so I still do that to this day. So I've been, I've been coaching, uh, ever since, uh, I coach both kind of like average people just trying to get fitter. And they also coach power lifters and, and bodybuilders. Uh, and then on top of that, I also part of the, the Renaissance precision team and, and I help them uh, with a variety of things. Um, and yeah, that's me in a nutshell regarding fitness. Nice. Yeah. I remember we met back in, I think it was 2018 in Dublin at the RP seminar. That was a lot of fun. And, um, it was, it was interesting how everyone, you know, you, you see someone online and you're kind of like, um, I wonder what they're like in person. And everyone was like really from the RP team, especially you very friendly. So that was a really good experience. Um, and then we've just stayed in touch ever since. And I really respect the work you do. As I said, offline, you don't have a whole lot of content, but the stuff you do have is like, you know, very trustworthy. Um, and, uh, it's quite practical, you know, I, I love to, uh, see content that's kind of not like following fads sort of timeless evergreen content that you can always come back to. So it's very useful. Um, so yeah, just tell me a little bit more about the work you do, uh, with clients and, um, so you, you have like powerlifting clients and average clients. So yeah. What, what is kind of the typical work you do and challenges you help people with? Right. So that has changed a, a little bit, um, o- over the years. And, uh, I would say when I started, uh, for example, because this kind of depends on, on kind of the, the niches that you're into, right? Like as a person, because for example, when I initially got started, like Facebook groups were like all the rage. Like that's, that's where, that's where people hang out. That's where people, that's where stuff happened online, really. Um, and so I was in a lot of fitness groups that were the kind of like, science-based evidence-based because now now this is like a super common thing but like back then you know people caring about actual evidence that that was a very very restricted you know number of people and so i was in a lot of um circles that kind of talked about uh the topic and also i think somewhat unfortunately back then that was very associated with with powerlifting and and strength like now i think it's, it's a bit more <laughs> i think it's more like acceptable that, that you train for like physique development and whatnot. But back then there was kind of like a superiority complex of, of, of strength training. So that's, that's kind of the niche that, that I was in. And because, and most of my clients kind of usually came from, from that type of environment. So like they, they saw me, uh, they saw me in those groups, like answering a question. They were like, Oh, you know, you seem to know what you're talking about. Can you help me with this? Or, or maybe a friend's recommended to them. Um, and you know, things of that nature. So, in the beginning, it was a lot of power of thing. And then I think in part because of Renaissance periodization, I eventually started to transition more to, to physique development. So like bodybuilding, uh, not necessarily like competitive bodybuilding, although I do coach some of that as well, 
but mostly you know just average people just you know trying to get you know as as muscular uh, as they can and kind of like that, that that's that's their main hobby um and that's kind of what i ended up you know specializing um i suppose over the years because then people refer their friends and then you know usually your friends are in the same thing into the same thing as you as you are um and so so yeah it, it's typically like uh, i would say <clears throat> sorry I, I would say intermediate to advanced they're generally people that um already kind of know a little bit of what's going on so for example almost everyone that comes to not everyone but like i would say like 70 to 80 percent of people coming to me they're already familiar with renaissance position for example like they already watched mike's videos they're like they already know the basics it's just that it's like okay i know the basics but i would like some help implementing it and i would like to customize it for me because i know the basics but like you know, kind of going that extra mile of like really how to optimize for, for the individual. And then like, you might know the basics in theory, but like in practice, you know, if problem A arises then you know, what, what do I do? Uh, and so that's generally the context where people usually, you know, reach out to me, kind of like intermediates, just looking to try to, to optimize things. Uh, but of course, like I said, I have a, a little bit of everything as well. Yeah. You have an extensive background over the, over the years. So I'm thinking what would separate, in your opinion, a beginner, let's say a beginner lifter from intermediate? What are some of the things that uh, an intermediate has learned, um, they're aware of, or maybe just even habits or practices they use that differentiate your typical client from maybe someone who's uh, more of a, you know, a beginner new to the whole lifting scene? Right. That, that's a really tricky question because it kind of depends how how you're using all, all these terms and it's not very easy to pin down. But if if I try to like be very general with it, um, for one, I would say, generally speaking, with, with intermediates, for example, generally speaking, adherence is, is not an issue, which is already completely changes the, the scenario of coaching. Because if, if, if adherence is not there, then, then you have a big problem. You need, you need to fix that as, as soon as possible. So, you know, that, that changes completely. Usually intermediates, because they've already been there for a while, they generally already kind of got into the habits of things. Um, like that generally doesn't, you know, require a lot of, a lot of concern. Um, beyond the adherence issue, um, again, this comes back a bit to, to definitions, but I think probably the, the, the biggest, you know, the, the variable that's most relevant is how much progress have you made and how how much progress can you make like the pace of it is i would say is the big determinant of you know of of where you fall in in kind of like categories of of advancement so a beginner for example assuming that everything is on point they can make progress you know pretty fast um intermediates starts gets to to slow down and then you know once it gets to advance then it's kind of snail space right um obviously this depends a bit on on genetics but you know um that would be kind of the 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 most basic framework very good and just as a side note so uh would you describe yourself as a deep thinker and i ask this because you have your podcast on philosophy and i feel like the kind of the thinking side of training as opposed to just i want to look good i want to you know be buff like sure you know that's that's kind of nice to have but to think about your fitness on a deeper level would that be something you know, that you use in your coaching and that would separate a beginner from an intermediate where they kind of, maybe their fitness means more to them or they've kind of thought about it on a, on a deeper level. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, uh, I do like thinking, <laughs> um, I, I do, I do have, you know, the, the podcast, like you mentioned, and I have, I have a degree in philosophy, uh, et cetera. 
So, you know, I, I do think it's it's important, uh, and I think also just fun. Like even if it wasn't important, I think it's just I think it's just fun to understand the the principles of of how this all works. Um, and and yeah, you're right. So like, uh, you know, because I was saying kind of the problem of definition. So like another variable that you can kind of uh, try to delineate what what an intermediate is is for example also kind of like their psychology uh, about training and, and i think you're very right about that so beginners a lot of the times you know they, they they're just following random stuff right and and it's not unreasonable because like what the hell are you going to do like it's it's very overwhelming when you first start something like it doesn't matter if it's fit, fitness or not and so when beginners start you know they, they, they don't know what they're doing and also i would say that a lot of times they don't know what they're doing. And also they don't know how to reach a place where they know what they're doing. Like not only do they not have the information, they don't have the skill sets to get the information. And this is actually super, super underrated because I think that's actually part of what makes someone a really good coach or athlete or, or knowledgeable in general. A lot of times it's not even how, it's not just getting good information, it's, it's kind of knowing how to get it. And this is, this is really hard to to appreciate because a lot of times people don't understand how complex it is to actually get to the bottom of things and this a lot of times this gets complex to a degree where it's logistically almost impossible and that's why and and this actually applies to to science as a whole which is which is why you have experts right so like you can't you can't possibly be an expert on on everything you just don't have don't have the skill you don't have the knowledge you don't have the time and so this applies to science more broadly, and also it applies to, to fitness. It's like, you know, I, I'm I'm, you know, I, I'm more you know into this and more knowledgeable, and more experienced than like ninety nine point nine percent of people on Earth. And even myself, there's tons of stuff at, the, for example, the mechanistic level of hypertrophy, which I have no idea. Like when it gets really deep into physiology, like that's just not you know that's just not my field. And so, but even though I don't know that stuff. I know how to get the answers. Like I know what papers to look out for. I know the basics of what determines a good paper from a bad paper. Uh, I know the main researchers involved, things like that. And so um, I would say part of that process is what kind of also transitions someone from beginner to intermediate, which is like, I know a bit more of what I need to do. And also I'm understanding the landscape a little better. If it's like, if I have this question, I, I know roughly how how I might get an answer, or if I see several answers, I might have an intuition of what makes A a bad answer compared to answer B. Interesting. So the quote, uh, you don't want to uh, major in the minors, that comes to mind. And it's like, I kind of hear that that's kind of like a, a rookie mistake in any field. Um, is there any kind of rookie mistakes, you know, beginners would focus on too much, maybe when they're starting their fitness journey, um, or that an intermediate has really, they've just said, I'm just going to focus on this and I'm just going to focus on that. That helps them to kind of, I guess, graduate from that in, that beginner to intermediate level. Right. Yeah, for sure. That, that, that's a that's a really big one. And, and beginners make this mistake all the time and they make it, they make it so often that I don't even know where to start because you know, there's like a million things that, that they do wrong. But I would say if if I have to like kind of think of an overall pattern, I would say maybe maybe trying to seek novelty is is one of them. So like a lot of times, you know, if if, if someone just gets to the gym, it's like they get a workout and they think, you know, they, they get a workout, they start doing it and then they're like, well, I need to do something else. Right. It's like they, they, they have the tendency to program hop a lot. 
Um, and also novelty, novelty can apply in other ways as well. So like um, a lot of the times they, they look things that are like sexy, right? So like in the program, it's like if, if there's like, you know, tens of like supersets or something, it's like, well, this must be good. You know, it kind of looks advanced or something. Surely it's better than straight sets. Why would it not be? Or like in nutrition, you know, if there's, I don't know, they, they, they might come across with like some random blog posts from, I don't know, some some mother somewhere about you know how blueberries are now the healthiest thing ever and, and they're, they're, you know in order to be healthy you just need to have blueberries so stuff like that a lot of times beginners fall to to those things it's like things that just sound sexy and also constantly in the lookout uh for for things to try and this kind of ties into what i was saying earlier which is like once you're kind of a bit more intermediate you because you understand a bit better of the fundamentals like you know what things truly matter Right. And so like a lot of times, obviously, this depends from person to person. You know, there, there's always exceptions. But generally speaking, when people get to an intermediate level, they at least know kind of the basic levels of what they should focus on training. Right. Like, you know, most intermediate slow know that, you know, they should probably be getting stronger over time. It's probably a big one. If they want to lose fat. You know, they'll have to find a way to eat less somehow, regardless of kind of the specifics. Um, and so. You know, there's a lot to be said beyond those things, but if those things are in place, uh, then you're probably going to spin, spin your wheel, sorry, um, and, and a lot of beginners do, really, because they, they don't really know how, how to get out of it. It's making me think of uh, intrinsic versus extrinsic motivation. So extrinsically, you might be like, oh, I'll join a new gym. I'll try this new uh, workout, this new plan. That's all extrinsic whereas if if an intermediate i would say just personally an intermediate actually just enjoys training of any kind even if um it's a very tough situation like a home workout during the pandemic where they just you know very limited equipment it's like almost like the most basic training you could do it's almost like the least um sort of exciting way you could train but because it's still uh resistance training they enjoy it so um as someone you know who's been in, been training for a while, and you also do um, the the bouldering, the climbing as well on top of it, so it's kind of like you actually double down and did extra exercise um, yourself. What what kind of motivates you to train and to to work out over the long term? That adherence point that we talked about earlier, right? Um, well, for me personally, kind of what I've always been somewhat addicted to is, is just is just getting better, like the feeling of and this also kind of applies to my, you know, kind of overall life, you know, more more broadly. But, you know, in, in specific, it manifests very clearly. Like, because, you know, I mean, at least as far as I'm concerned, you know, kind of within my life philosophy, you should try to get better at things. But like a lot of times, it's really hard to quantify what better is, right? It's like, you should probably be a better partner, but like, how the hell are you going to quantify that, right? You know, if, you, if you're being a horrible partner, they'll, they'll let you know, but, you know, it's small improvements are just really hard to detect. And so, but fitness has the the peculiarity that it's just super straightforward. And there's literally numbers on that. Like you can make a graph if you want, right? So like if you squatted a hundred kilos and like next month you're squatting 105, then, well, that's amazing. And there's, there's no, you know, there, there's no second guessing, right? Well, it's not that simple because maybe your technique was bad or something like that. But, you know, the, the overall pattern is that it's, it's very trackable and it's very measurable. And so <clears throat> I've always been a bit addicted to that, which is like I, I'm better than, than 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 what I was. And, you know, 
it's just addicting to some degree to to see that. And I gave the strength example, and this is a bit harder with <clears throat> with kind of physique development, for example, uh, because it's harder to see, but it still happens to some degree. Like you know, after after one or two mesocycles, for example, if you're doing hypertrophy, like it's very obvious that you look in the mirror. Uh, and, and you just know that you, you have grown a lot, right? Like not not as much as you would like because you know that that's how it goes. You just get body dysmorphia once <laughs> you start training for hypertrophy. Um, but but yeah, just just the overall progress of it has always been you know super motivating to me, at least especially in the, in the strength side of things. Um, and then uh, for bouldering, bouldering is actually interesting because bouldering. It also has that aspect, which is, it's very addicting to like, you know, in bouldering, there's kind of like problems that you need to solve. So like routes that you need to go and they, they differ in, in difficulty. And to me, it's just like, once you are able to accomplish something that you weren't before, like to me, that just feels like it's, it's just the most amazing feel, feeling in the world. And, uh, and again, it just always comes back to, to the, to the thing of, of progress and, and you mentioned that I do uh, strength training and, and bouldering, but I actually do strength training, bouldering, and running. Um, and, and running also has, you know, kind of the, the same metric as well, which is like, you know, it, it's very nice that I, I can run longer uh, or I can run faster uh, than I did, you know, last month or a few months ago or, or whatever. So, you know, the overall pattern is just just getting better. To me, that that has always been the, the motivation. Interesting. So I actually recently heard that, when you kind of achieve something you didn't think you could, the return on, on investment is like exponential. It's like, you know, you get your squat from 100 to 105 and you think, okay, I should be, you know, satisfied or whatever. But it can actually be like, it can keep you, it can keep you motivated for like, you know, for a long time. You know, I don't want to say that's going to happen uh, for everybody, but that you, you just have no idea basically how good it can feel to achieve something Um that you haven't done before that, that maybe it's like, uh, your, your boost, your self-belief, your self-confidence, your motivation. Um, you just have no idea how powerful that is. That, and that compound kind of incremental progress is, is really powerful. Um, so just with like getting better, I feel like I've heard that before from intermediate lifters where they sort of gamify their training and maybe it, it's not so much about like, you know, something vague, like I want to feel better. I want to look better. I want to lift more. It's like, no, it's, it's quite specific of I actually want to go from 100 to 105. Um, so what are kind of like some personal sort of like times where you've actually gamified your approach to training to make it more enjoyable and kind of, I guess, apply those kind of intermediate skills that like a beginner just wouldn't have, you know, because I've actually also heard from a beginner where they're like, uh, I don't track my training, you know, I don't want to put that much work in. And then I'm straight away thinking, oh, you're missing out, you know, like as in, that that whole game element is there for you. It's latent potential. And it's only a matter of time where a haphazard approach is going to, it's like almost a guaranteed like demotivator because you're, you're going to work for like four to eight weeks and you're not going to be sure of the results at the end of those four to eight weeks. And then you're going to say to yourself, you know, something's wrong or, you know, um, you, you're, you're going to find adherence tricky. Whereas, it's the opposite effect. If you put the, the work in on the front end and uh, you say, okay, I'm just going to improve by one to 5% or 10% or whatever, that uh, that will sustain the progress long-term. So yeah, just a personal experience where maybe even a client where you've noticed this, we'll call it like an intermediate skill. 
Right. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I would say, you know, tr- tracking, like you mentioned, is 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 a huge part of it and something that's a lot of times not very easy to 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 deal with is that uh, what I mentioned that is my motivation is is often the motivation of, of a lot of other people. But a, a lot of people don't realize that's motivational until they are they're in the shoes. Right. Because like a lot of people you know they don't they don't even get to that place where where okay it feels amazing because now i've just reached you know this this squat goal um or or whatever so you first need to kind of you know, you know put some faith um into the fact that it's going to work that you're going to achieve it and, and that you're tracking everything um and and then you'll you'll probably feel feel great about it and another good example about this is is that that's kind of related to tracking but not not so much of a of a strength analogy um, is progress pictures. So for example, when someone comes to me and they want to work with me uh, and they're kind of like general population, they, they're like just started lifting or maybe they never trained at all. And, and they're usually within that scenario, kind of their goal is, is fat loss. I always ask to take progress pictures. And I ask to take progress pictures even because a lot of times they're very, you know, a lot of people are are very you know, against taking progress pictures, right? Because they came to me and, and they want to lose fat because they, they don't like how they look. So like taking pictures of themselves in that state, a lot of times, you know, they just don't feel great about it. And what I always try to say to those clients is like, look, I get it. I, I totally get it that it's uncomfortable, but just take them. If if you don't want to send it to me, that's fine. Just take it for yourself. No one has to see it, you know, send it to a private email, put it on a, password protected app like whatever you want but just have it and because that's going to be very motivational later even if if you don't think that is and also i've noticed time and time again and this is why i'm so insistent to the clients that i work with is once you do finally have the progress if you don't have those pictures you're just going to have regret like a lot of regret and and then it's a really shitty type of regret because like it was so easy like i i could have done it it would take me like two minutes and now and now it's gone like now i can never and this even happens to me to this day for example like i i'm somewhat proud of the progress um th- that i've made compared to how, how i looked and and when i was you know in my fitness journey and i have a few pictures of like when i was really fat and like no muscle whatsoever but i don't actually have a picture of like day zero because the picture that i have of my worst that wasn't you know, even close to my actual worst. And, you know, it, it, to me, it would be awesome to actually have, you know, day zero uh, compared to now, but, but I don't because I didn't take the, the, those pictures and a lot of people uh, kind of get uh, into the same into the same boat as well. So, you know, this is just one example, but obviously it, it, it affects it affects everything else. And there's other examples, but, you know, tracking is, is super important. And then, you know, just, just making small goals, uh, towards it, whatever whatever those goals may be, like it, it really doesn't matter, you know. I, I've been I've been giving the the example of of squatting a lot, but you know, if you hate squatting, well, that's fine. You know, can be the bench press, can be a vertical jump, you know, can be bouldering, can be running, whatever. But it's it's really hard to believe that someone is is going to improve at something. And and also, it's it's really important that we haven't talked about it, that a lot of the times. I think it's it's really crucial that these goals are hard. 
right? It's not like it's not like you're improving, but it's easy to improve. It's not, and that's what and that's what makes it meaningful, and that's what people feel feel great about it. So, like, if if you are working hard at something for for three months, and then you finally achieve it, and you didn't think that you could get it, and then you have tangible proof of it, like you have the numbers or you have the pictures or you know whatever, um, then you know that that's just gonna help adherence just massively. And and a lot of people, unfortunately, they just never are able to get to that state. So for example, just going to give a very practical example. So um, I've been trying to get my the, the mother of my girlfriend, for example, to to, to work out, uh, but it has been tricky because of her, of her schedule and whatnot. So we haven't been able to, to get it done. And something that always frustrates me a little bit is that, and this happens with a lot of people, is that she starts training and like she does it for a while and then she you know falls off. But in, if she did it just for a tiny bit longer, then she would be able to realize that she's getting stronger. And then I'm, I'm very confident that would be very motivating, um, you know, by itself. But because, you know, it kind of never reaches that point, you just never enjoy that benefit. Yeah, to get over the initial hump, sort of the little initial challenges, yeah, to see the progress, that's, yeah, that's a key key phase. And um, you, you mentioned running earlier. So, you know, uh, with my running, I think it's quite easy to, there's, there's so many different variables that we can work on, like small goals, you know, to, to make the process more enjoyable. Um, and I think doing the, the kind of the hard challenges, the small goals that are hard, uh, when you put that work in and you set it up right, even though there's a risk of failure, when you do it right, you, sh- you shouldn't really kind of fail. That's the interesting thing I find about powerlifting um, and then also running. It's kind of like, um you you set basically a well structured plan it you shouldn't you should have not a fear so much of failure where it's like i mightn't be able to lift this or i mightn't be able to complete it it's more like uh can i just put in my best effort you know because it's at the end of the day like fitness is really in my opinion it's you versus you even though we like to compete for, with other people even though the minute me and you start talking about like our own lifting numbers and running numbers we'll start to compare at the end of the day, it's not, in my opinion, it's not anything about anyone else, really. And, and of course, you can compete and do stuff like that. But um, if you can keep it just about yourself, you, you make the most out of your fitness journey. Um, so for, for running, do you think there's a similarity with running and powerlifting where um, you can set up your goals in such a way that the, the risk of failure is low? And um, if you try your best, you can make progress. Do you, do you get that idea? Because that's just something that I've seen with powerlifting where uh, if you're not able to get uh, your one rep max up, your five rep max up, you're, you're you're setting up your plan wrong. And when you become intermediate, you actually hit the numbers and you actually, it's the, again, that kind of fear of failure goes away. It's more like a fear of, you know, can I try my best today, even though, you know, I have all these life stresses going on. So, um, yeah, do, do you think that that approach to running applies to powerlifting, um, that kind of gamification? Uh, yeah, I, th- I think that's a, I think that's a really good point. And, uh, I think it definitely, um, applies. And, and that's something that's not, that's something that a lot of beginners don't, don't really understand. They really have this, this mindset of like, kind of like a, a binary, you know, view of like success, you know, slash fa- failure in, in training. And they, they always think that it's something very, I don't know, that, that you have to like to push super hard and then like, 
the you know the, the results are, are a direct results of like a very a very specific session or, or or something like that and obviously you need to put effort in you know not, not saying that that's that that's irrelevant but it's exactly like you said like most of the time it's just about having a structured plan that makes sense and then just putting the work over time and, and if you do that then 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 you'll get results for sure um and yeah that, that's something that's that that's they're very, very undervalued. And I think that's because it just requires long-term thinking. Um, and a lot of people, well, people are bad at long-term thinking in, in general, but, you know, yeah, even more in, in fitness. But, but yeah, I think there's definitely an, uh, an analogy to, to running there uh, for sure. Yeah, it's definitely something, maybe it's just my own personal kind of like lesson learned that uh, if I, if I set up my own training where I have a fear of, of not being able to complete a certain run or a certain lift, then I think in my experience, I kind of have it backwards. It's, I, sh- I should be more concerned about not putting my best effort forward. And if I do, then it's kind of like the result takes care of itself. So that's just my own kind of side point. But yeah, running is something that I've got into recently as well. And uh, I don't know, is it just in fitness in the industry that running is becoming more popular? Maybe, you know, Kipchoge, the the, the world record breaker, maybe he's like really bringing about like a kind of a popular a boost in popularity to running but just talk a little bit about um your experience with running so why you started it and then how do you manage i thought i was i, I you know i was doing powerlifting and uh so weight training and running i thought that was a lot you're doing three different activities so how do you kind of juggle doing two different sports and three even all at the same time right so answer number one is that you just need to be really smart about how you program it and kind of point number two is that no matter how smart you program it you're, you're still going to make some some trade-offs and you just have to accept it um and and that's okay because you know when i was younger you know i was, I was very i was very obsessed about powerlifting and like even though like i said i, I enjoy progress like my mindset at the time was like I, i'm just going to be as strong as possible and at, at some point like to me, to me now, this is like almost absurd to say it, and and it feels like almost embarrassing. But at some point, to me, that was literally my life goal. It was like I, I want to get as strong as humanly possible, and and everything else in my life is 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 secondary. Um, and I got a lot of from powerlifting, but you know, <laughs> there's certainly more to life than than, than powerlifting. And so I, I've eventually, you know, not taken it has has hardcore. Uh, and so. I've taken up running, uh, one, uh, because I, I like, I like the, the fact that with running, um, I mean, first of all, it, it's, first of all, maybe to, to, to provide some, some context to what I was, what I'm going to say first, um, like there, there's always a difference between like what training is optimal compared to what we actually do in practice compared to, what you actually enjoy. And so, for example, something that I struggle a lot, of, a lot of the times is that a lot of the times I have the tendency to work harder than I should because that makes me feel good. And also that makes me not ha- because otherwise I'll doubt myself if I'm training hard enough. And so I tend to train too hard. Um, and so, but, you know, like, like you said, a lot of times that's, you know, that's, that's a bit counterintuitive. And a lot of times it's not that you need to work you know, super hard in the sense of like being super close to failure, but rather, you know, just, just follow the program um, in the long term. But uh, this, this to provide some context to running because um, 
with running, I do like that feeling of like not being able to to complete it. And this is not that that's not like a an optimal approach from a running perspective. Like that that's not generally how most of your runs should go. But psychologically, I I, I just feel good when I do that, and I get like I manage to get that psychological state much better in running than, than I do in powerlifting because in powerlifting or, or just lifting in general, because in lifting, I feel like obviously there's a lot of a mental game, but like if, if you're doing like your three rep max, like you're not going to top that by very much, no matter how psyched up you get, like, it's just not going to happen. You just don't have it in you. You can't just create strength out of, out of, out of thin air, but in running, it kind of feels like you can, gets more out of you just out of thin air like it's really hard to explain but like if you just run as much as you can like if you had a gun to your head you would probably run longer and then if after that someone had another gun into your head you would probably run like it's really really hard to pin down exactly where your 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 true limit is and and even the science on this it's like it's it's just very very confusing there's conflicting evidence all over the place and like no one really knows what's going on, honestly. And and to me, I just find that very, very, very liberating. And that that's something that I get a lot of pleasure out of that I I don't really find in lifting. That that was part of the reason, kind of why I wanted to to get into running. I mean, I also wanted to kind of like do a marathon just for the experience of it, and I also want the health benefits. So it was a mixture of things. But once I got kind of that taste, that psychological. Um, you know, states that you can get into, uh, then then that kind of hooked me a little bit. Yeah, it, it is kind of addictive like that, where there's something personally for me very freeing about running when uh, the chips align, things are going well, and it's just kind of, it feels, you know, very natural, you know, like, because you can be out in nature as well, and you're propelling yourself along, and it can feel effortless. Um, it's quite a unique experience. It can be very, very enjoyable. So you're, you're just talking about some of the gains you've seen with running and the progress. Uh, what are some of the kind of like, you know, numbers you have in terms of like you started kind of like the progress picture idea. So, um, you know, you started and you, you you did this amount or, you know, what have you seen in your running journey since you started that is keeping you so motivated, basically? Right. Well, I can give you like with running, I'm not taking it super seriously because part part of you know, one of the main goals that I have with, with running is, is to do that marathon, like I mentioned, but because I'm also, you know, doing, doing powerlifting and I'm up because I'm also doing bouldering, you know, you have to prioritize to some degree and kind of running. I'm just mostly, you know, tr- trying to, I'm not only trying to maintain, but like, I'm, I'm just not pushing it too hard, but you still make progress over time. And for example, something that I really noticed is for example, kind of the, the most basic run that I do is like j- just going straight um, out, out of my door to a certain kind of peculiar, you know, place like a grocery store that's nearby. And it's kind of like the, the target route that I have. And like, I remember back then that when I did that, like th- that was so hard while I felt like, like every time that I was putting my running shoes on, it's like, holy crap, this is going to suck. And so also I had this huge mental barrier because on that route, there's a particular place where it's kind of like a bit inclined, like not a lot, but j- just, a, just a little bit. And I, I used to find that so intimidating and I used to justify it to myself, which is like, oh, this is hard, but it's only super hard because, you know, it's, it's just this inclined, right? And that just, that was always in my head, like every single run. And now when I go to do that run, 
uh, now, and a lot of times I don't even do that run anymore. Um, or rather, I don't do only that specific kind of distance because now it's it's too too short for me. So I usually go a, a bit further. I just kind of le- repeat it back and forth. But now, first of all, it's it's super easy. At least you know th- that initial portion of it. But also something that I find funny is that like that whole section that used to be so intimidating for me. Now it's not even a consideration. Like it doesn't even come to my mind that it's inclined. It, like it doesn't even matter. It's just, you know, it's just normal pavement, right? Uh, and so I think, you know, obviously it's it's there's a lot there's a lot to be said about like hard numbers and and, and things like that. So you know, for example, I can go through my travel logs and like see exactly what my pace was, uh, you know, back then compared to now. And obviously, you know, there, there's a huge improvement. Uh, but you know, from time to time, there, there's always like these little more psychological, less subjective things that also kind of give you pleasure. Like another one that comes to mind is also, for example, with powerlifting. I remember, I remember the time where it wasn't any specific like personal record, but I remember, for example, when two twenty five on the squat just just felt like like nothing, like butter. So it's not it's not like you know, it wasn't you know too much a, a number of like what I can hit. But, you know, just the fact of like putting two plates and it's just like part of my normal warm up where it, it feels like nothing at all. Um, I remember just just that feeling like completely you know, amazing, even though it's not like a quote unquote, like main goal, so to speak. Yeah, I know that feeling where you could take a progress picture or have a specific goal in mind and then also uh, unplanned goals or unplanned landmarks will come up just like that, which is really interesting. So just with the the running you're talking about like you know that hill where initially it was a challenge and now it's not anymore you don't even realize it and i feel like you're talking a little bit about like self-belief so can you just talk a little we'll kind of go on the psychological philosophical side here so it's like i feel as though exercise you know one of the real big benefits of it is that it's a really sort of i don't want to say easy i would say uh maybe straightforward way to improve a person's self-belief or maybe their self-efficacy so like uh you know, to do difficult things, to challenge themselves, to push themselves, to kind of find out their capabilities. What What are your thoughts on that? And would you think that like that would be like a selling point for exercise for people who maybe are not motivated or are kind of they don't have the buy in or the adherence? You could we could say to them, uh, you know, is there anything else outside of exercise that you kind of don't have the belief with where exercise, if you use that as a vehicle for self-belief, you can actually uh, have other benefits not just to your health, but to other areas in your life. Do you think that's a reasonable sort of selling point? Um, well, first of all, I, I think you're completely right, and to, to me, that that's that's a huge thing uh, as well. Like, like honestly, for me, exercise is a lot about kind of putting in the work necessary in order to 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 get that stuff done, and also that's why a lot of the times I don't do, you know, what what might be just the most most optimal because you know there there's several goals to it and so you know just just as an example uh for example for for the for the last few years i've been doing i i do a run um like on on 1st of january like at at 5 a.m with uh a five kilogram backpack on top like like a weighted vest and i run for for five kilometers just like a, a symbolic thing and a lot of times my, my girlfriend, you know, I don't like her saying it, but sometimes she mentions this to, to friends or family or whatever. And everyone just looks at me and just like, you're insane. Like, why would you, why would you do that? And 
the answer to that is not a is not a physiological answer. Like I'm not doing it because it's any good. In fact, quite the opposite. It's almost all the time. It's quite dumb to run with with extra weight for for no reason. But I do it simply because of of the psychological benefit that I'm gonna get, um, and the fact that I'm I'm able to do that not physically but harder because no one wants to get up at goddamn five a.m. on on January first. Like that's just. The inertia that I felt every single year is just is just enormous. But once you get it done, then then you you really have this what what you're describing of like the the sense of of confidence that that you can do stuff and that that you believe in yourself and that and that you can do it as long as you put in the work and as long as you kind of practice the, the arts of, of of hard work, I, I suppose. So I do think you're you're completely right. But in the sense of like selling it, I'm not so sure. Like I think. On one hand, yes, but also on the other hand, I think, I think maybe going through that route a lot of times it might make people um, overly intimidated because there are a lot of times they're already intimidated to begin with. So, like, if you want to sell that idea, maybe it's sellable, but like, it just has to be like pushed very, very, you know, gently so that people are, are aren't scared of it. Um, but you know, the overall idea, yeah, I think there's definitely some merit to it. And I think that's a huge part of of exercise, honestly, because, I mean, obviously I care a lot about my health. I want to improve everyone's health. But like, man, this is, obviously it's a bit hard to compare these things, but like health is one of the most important things, but like your life more broadly of like who you are as a character, that's also pretty damn important, right? And so, and exercise is just a huge uh, vehicle for that. And something that I think is, is really underrated is that not only do you practice that with exercise, it's actually a lot easier because like when you get in really tough situations in life, like when you have, when you have a real, real problem with your partner or with your family or something like that, that's way, way harder than getting up at 5 a.m. to go for a run. Way harder. So like my mindset is like, if I can't do this basic thing of exercise that even though it's harder in the moment, it's actually nothing in, in actual real life problems, then you know, if if you're not ready to tackle that, even though it's physically demanding, the chances that you'll be able to successfully tackle other problems of life um, is low, right? And so obviously I'm oversimplifying it a little bit. You know, there's tons of nuances here, but I just think this is a good overall framework that unfortunately a lot of people don't pay attention to. It's, yeah, it's it's kind of the latent potential of exercise. Yeah, that's a really interesting way to put it. And like, it's not like a one-to-one thing. Oh, I squat a lot or run a lot. And then that means that I can, you know, handle other life problems like much you know it's it's not going to be like a straightforward thing but i think it's almost like a kind of a bet where it's like if i can do hard things with exercise chances are it'll put me in a better position over the long term to handle other hard things that's probably a kind of like a better way for me like where i would look at it you know because it's hard to say exactly how it carries over because sometimes i might exercise too much and it might actually have the opposite effect where I'm like, oh, I can't do this other thing because I did so much exercise. But that's where the whole experience and uh, planning out properly comes in, into effect. Um, so, yeah, we've talked a lot about the uh, psychology of exercise. So we'll switch it to the, the nutrition side of things. And an article you had was on uh, nutrient uh, density index. So uh, this is something I really like to think of. It's like people look at food and they say, okay, what I hear people say about food is this food is a good food or a bad food. And I'm like, in my head, I'm like, what the hell does that mean? 
You know, it's like, what's the situation? What are the factors involved? Like who, who, you know, are you that like, you know, this food is good for you and bad for you? Like, what are your kind of intolerances? What are your goals? All this kind of stuff. So I love the idea of the, the, I love the idea of looking at food and just looking at it purely from a nutritious aspect. And it's kind of like, it's a spectrum of more or less nutritious. And um, the index you put together, I can attach it in the show notes after is really useful. So can you talk a little bit about that and what sort of motivated you or inspired you to, to write this article? Right. So this article was, was more kind of like me trying to fit a balance between like two compo two opposing narratives that a lot of times you see in the fitness industry, which is like on one, on one hand, a lot of times people are like, you know, they, they view foods in, in like this, this moralizing way. Like you said, you know, good foods, good foods, bad foods. And like these foods are like super healthy foods. You know, they're, they're super foods. That they're going to take your health to the next level and they're going to cure cancer and, you know, bring back the dead and everything in between. Um, and then there's also these foods, which are like, if you eat them, you're, you're just poisoning yourself. You're just going to die next year or something like that. Right. And, you know, I, I'm obviously I'm making fun of it and I'm, and I'm putting it in very extreme terms, but I'm not putting in that much more extreme terms. Like if, if you literally Google right now about like X foods, like bread, for example, and cancer, you will see people arguing that bread will literally give you cancer. So like I, I'm making fun of it, but I'm not exaggerating that much. So there's that camp. And that camp is just, you know, completely obsessed about, you know, kind of categorizing foods. Uh, and that's just wrong on like a, a million levels. But then there's the competing aspects, which is kind of like, and, you know, th- this was kind of very popularized when, you know, evidence kind of based, uh, quotes unquote, uh, like uh, started to get famous. And then we had like the whole, if it fits your macros kind of narrative. And w- within, you know, w- within that culture, how how a lot of people usually see food, it's like, food choice is more or less irrelevant a lot of the times where it's like, you know, or, you know, a less extreme version of it is like, just eat healthy overall and you'll be okay. And that's a really good framework, but it doesn't quite capture it because that assumes that whatever you're eating is 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 kind of like more or less the same in terms of, of nutrition density. And, and many years ago, when I actually bothered to look at, 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 at the actual nutri- nutrient density of foods, I noticed that wasn't the case. And like this article kind of forgot how, how, when I published it, maybe two years ago or something, but like that article has been on my mind for like half a decade because ever since I started looking more deeply at, at, the, at the nutrition of different foods, I'm like, holy crap, this is actually, you know, like a, a pretty sizable difference. So like, Okay, it's true that some foods, you know, aren't magical and some foods are, are going to poison you, but that doesn't mean that they're all the same because spinach is, is going to be way more nutritious than, than bread. And so, and then my idea at the time was like, well, and all this data, all this nutrition, um, you know, this is objective data. So there, there needs to be a way to, to quantify that to, to some degree. And there has been some, some papers that have tried to do that in, in various forms. Um, and, but I, I, I didn't like any of them because they usually try to analyze other things like saturated fat and then they, they, they prioritize certain nutrients. It, it just gets a mess. And I just wanted to something very basic and very straightforward. And so my approach was like, okay, let's just grab all the nutrients of all the foods, which, well, all the foods is, is a huge oversimplification because I had to make a selection. Like there's tons of nuance that I go into the article of, 
of, you know, certain limitations that this has, but kind of like the most basic foods, at least kind of within my culture, within my location, you know, within my knowledge. And then I just, I I basically summed everything up based on the RDA, because that's kind of what matters the most. Not that the RDA is a super reliable metric in in some things it's off, but it's good enough. And it tells you, the most important thing is, is that it treats nutrients as, as baselines. So like it doesn't, because a lot of the times that a lot of the times when people speak about nutrients, kind of what they, what they really get it wrong is that they they don't take they don't take into account the actual amounts of it. Like it doesn't matter if you get a lot of calcium, for example, or vitamin A or something. If 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 just by eating that food or by eating some other food, you already get a decent level. Like you don't get internet points by going like five times above what what you're supposed to eat. And the opposite always happens a lot as well, which is like, you know, you, you'll see some blog online saying, you know, this food has, you know, it has iron and iron is super great for you. And then they, they list all the benefits of iron and then they list all the diseases that you get with iron deficiency. It's like, okay, but like, that doesn't mean that it's relevant. Like how much iron are you actually getting and, and how difficult it is to get iron from, from, from the basic level. And so th- this baseline of kind of like a percentage based on, on what you actually need is super important. And so that's the reference that I used. And then I basically averaged out um, all the foods and I made a cap. Uh, I believe it was like to 200% RDA. So like if something had, you know, 700% of vitamin C, then that actually doesn't impact the index because it's it's capped at, at 200. Um, and so what you will see, uh, in, in the results that I share the, uh, in, in that analysis is that th- there is a difference in foods. Like some foods are actually quite different. Like they're not magical, but they're substantial. And so in my opinion, this index, or at least this type of thinking, you know, you know, there's, there's limitations. And so like people might create their own indexes if they want, or they just might use it as a, as a heuristic. But the underlying goal is to just see, okay, if, if I'm going to eat certain foods, like uh, I'm, I'm going to eat the selection because like very few people are going to like ro- rotating their foods, you know, th- that this would be an ideal world, right? That people just, you know, they, they eat a new food every day. So that you get the maximum variety, but like that, that rarely happens in the real world. So if you have to choose, you know, from option A to option B for a specific meal, like, you know, if something ranks number three in the index and the other one ranks number 50, and if you care about your health, like you might as well go to number three. Like I'm not saying you need to, you know, there's adherence, there's enjoyment, there's tons of variables, but all variables equal. In my opinion, I don't see why you wouldn't have some site, some preference of some kind towards the the, the foods that are, are more nutritious. And so this was kind of like the, the context and my thought behind the, the whole process. Yeah, I like that kind of the heuristic, like a mental shortcut because nutrition is... A minefield like it's so complicated so vast and it it's no wonder that i think that a lot of people with the general population find it tricky um i remember having a conversation with my mom and she was just like you know one person says this and one person says that it's like how do you know you know where to go and i'm like yeah to be to be fair like it there's so many conflicting camps it's almost like politics where there's like you know people on the right people on the left it's really like you know the the people on one camp are screaming as loud as they can and they're, they're, they got their studies and they're convinced they're right. But then on the complete opposite side, you know, there's a camp there and these are people with PhDs as well. So it's, it is tricky. Um, and a recommendation because I've kind of got my own heuristics or shortcuts about how to eat healthy. 
it's kind of easy for me to say to people, you know, just, just eat a healthy diet, eat in moderation. But now that I think about it, that's way too vague for the average person, right? They don't have a foundation or a framework of what is healthy. You know, it's like, okay, for me, healthy is no pizza ever at all. And then if I eat pizza, kind of like you said, I'm going to die in a year, you know, and it's like, I'm obviously joking, but it's like, that's sort of their view- viewpoint because it is so tricky. So is is there any kind of do's and don'ts you can think of with nutrition for someone listening who's like a little bit confused, maybe they're in that beginner stage and it's like, you know, okay, we definitely want to avoid this or try and minimize this or do as little as this, but we don't want it to be black and white. And then we definitely want to focus on doing a lot of this or, you know, certain things. So yeah, is there anything, any do's and don'ts you can think of for anyone listening? So th- this depends a lot on, on, on the person's background because like, Sometimes people are very confused about what's healthy uh, and, and what isn't. Uh, but th- there's also other people that know exactly what's what's healthy and what's not, and they just struggle to implement it. Like they just succumb to cravings, things like that. So it kind of depends on the person's background. Like assuming that they are a little bit confused, generally speaking, <clears throat> what I tend to prioritize is not so much eliminating things off the diet, but j- just including more of the good things. Like if I had to, if I had to give one recommendation, in my opinion, that's the most effective possible. And, and there's kind of several ways that you can kind of like subdivide this. But you know, if, again, if you want to keep it as simple as humanly possible, like in my opinion, the best advice that can't really be topped is just eat more vegetables. I was going like to say, you, I was going to guess, yeah, eat more <laughs> vegetables. That is mine as well. Just eat as eat as much vegetables as you can. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because like. If you do that, like a, a lot of other things will just will just fall into place. Um, and also, even though you're just emphasizing kind of like the, the good things, so to speak, like like your your need for 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 ice cream after you know after dinner, for example, that's going to be way decreased if you had a ton of vegetables compared to you know if you had you know just um you know, some, some pasta with, with nothing else, just pasta and cheese or, or Even, something yeah, like that. On a practical level. Yeah. It's really useful. And also just what about fruit as well? So, you know, a lot of people debate fruit and, you know, diabetes and stuff. So does, would you say the same for fruit as well? Uh, yeah. For fruits, like fruits can be a, a little bit abused. I think, I think it depends a little bit on the person. For example, fruit for me, like fruit, fruit for me is like dessert. Like if you spend, and I'm a bit lazy, so like thankfully I'm a bit lazy to cut fruit up. But like, if fruits is like already prepared, and you have a bowl in front of me, like I'm just gonna eat that bowl no matter how large it is. Like I'm gonna die before I stop because I just lose fruit so much. So I think it depends a little bit on kind of like people's sensitivity. Like I, I have a very strong uh, like sweet teeth, and some people aren't. Some people are like more um, salty oriented, and, and that's heavily genetic. Um, so there are some exceptions, but generally speaking, I, I would say that, you know, fruit is, is a pretty good guideline as well. I think vegetables top it, but fruits is still not very caloric dense, right? It's not, it's not as low as vegetables, but, um, it, it's still pretty good. Uh, it has generally speaking a good water content, good fi- fiber content. Um, and also something that a lot of times for some reason, this is not emphasized a lot. I think maybe, maybe, maybe people aren't so aware of it but like just the fact that food takes time and effort to eat like that that impacts a lot as well so for example if you eat an apple like that literally takes effort and time to eat like even regardless of the fiber regardless of water and everything else 
Um, and so like, even though in theory, you know, people can eat 10 apples, even if they have the strength to do it, they're probably going to just get bored of apples <laughs> just before that happens, unless they cut up and unless you're me. In that case, that might happen. But with most people, you know, there's kind of a, a natural cutoff. So fruit definitely has some nuances, but yeah, I, I would agree with you that that is definitely a great recommendation as well. Good. Yeah. Because I'm passionate about my fruit too. I'm just thinking of uh pineapple and how, if there's like, you know, chopped up pineapple, you can, you can buy here in America, you can buy uh, like huge balls of pineapple. And uh, I've had it happen at least once where I've eaten the whole thing. And afterwards it, it's kind of like bitter or the sour taste in my mouth is like kind of messed up for like a day. And I'm just like, why did I do that? And it's like, Oh, it was healthy. And it's like, yeah, you know, too much of a good thing can be bad. So um, yeah, that whole kind of idea of dessert and fruit. Yeah, definitely. I have an experience of that as well. Um, but yeah, Tiago, this has been brilliant. Uh, we're going to wrap it up there and uh, maybe we'll have to do another episode, but uh, a lot of value here. I really enjoyed it. Is there any kind of final message you want to wrap up on? Um, anything we didn't cover or uh, any anything about your work you want to uh, let people know about? Uh, well, like you said, I don't have a lot of public stuff, so <laughs> I don't have like famous Instagram page to follow or something like that. Um, well, I suppose if you have any questions uh, and if you can find me on Facebook or something, um, you know, if, if someone needs help, then, then they can they can message me. I'm sure they can message you as well. Like, I, I just want people to, to get healthier um, and, and to get better, really. Um, and, and I think that's really it, honestly. Yeah, I, I have the same sentiment. It's um, I just want people to experience the benefits of exercise, the healthy lifestyle. Uh, you know, I don't want to say healthy eating because that sounds so general, but just, you know, eating in a way that works for you. Um, but yeah, thanks very much, Thiago. And, uh...